It doesn't matter whether your parents were addicts or alcoholics, whether you had a chronically ill parent, a mentally ill parent, a family member who had a personality disorder, your family was super militaristic or super religious. Any kind of family dysfunction can result in these same traits. So even though the program is called Adult Children of Alcoholics, or it was started being called that, it's now called Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. People in this program refer to themselves as adult children, and the term adult child means that we respond to adult interactions with the fear and self-doubt learned as children. Hi, I'm Barb Nangle. I want to welcome you to my podcast, Fragmented to Whole, Life Lessons from 12-Step Recovery, where I help people heal their emotional, psychological, and spiritual wounds and make deep, lasting changes in their lives. I'm the founder and CEO of Higher Power Coaching and Consulting, LLC, where I coach people on how to develop healthy boundaries. On this podcast, I share my experience, strength, and hope from recovery. I don't support or endorse any particular 12-step recovery fellowship, and I don't claim to speak for any particular 12-step fellowship. I also don't believe that 12-step recovery is the only way to recover. You might need additional help. My hope is that you'll find my words concretely helpful in improving your life, whether you're in recovery or not. If you like what you've heard on this episode, please screenshot it and share it on social media. And if you do, please be sure to tag me at Higher Power Coaching. This is episode 194, How to Know if You're an Adult Child, Part 2, The Other Laundry List. This is a follow-up to last week's episode where I shared how to know if you're an adult child by reading The Laundry List, which is the affectionate title for the 14 traits of an adult child from the ACA Fellowship. As a reminder, the ACA Program of Recovery started as adult children of alcoholics, and it was formed by people who were in Alateen who aged out of the program. So the program did start for people who were adult children of alcoholics, but what was found over time is that people from a variety of types of dysfunctional families all end up with the same list of traits. So it doesn't matter whether your parents were addicts or alcoholics, whether you had a chronically ill parent, a mentally ill parent, a family member who had a personality disorder, your family was super militaristic or super religious. Any kind of family dysfunction can result in these same traits. So even though the program is called Adult Children of Alcoholics, or it was started being called that, it's now called Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. People in this program refer to themselves as adult children, and the term adult child means that we respond to adult interactions with the fear and self-doubt learned as children. The laundry list, which I shared last week, was one of the first pieces of literature created at the formation of the fellowship, which is what helped people to realize what's different about this group of people and why we need to have our own fellowship. I want to read something from a piece of ACA fellowship literature that's called The Laundry List's Workbook, Integrating Our Laundry List Traits. It says, 
When the ACA fellowship text was being reviewed, a copy was sent to a member who thought the book was great, except that it did not mention how we, quote, act out the laundry list effects. While the original laundry list describes how we are affected by alcoholism and family dysfunction, the member pointed out that as adults, we might in turn act out those traits by becoming victimizers. In other words, adult children, by adopting their parents' behavior, become their parents. That simple observation planted the seed for the development of the other laundry list and provides a fuller picture of how we are affected by the effects of alcoholism and family dysfunction. So that's the end of the quote. What I'm going to share today is what's called the other laundry list. Now, I was at least a couple of years into my ACA recovery before I ever even heard the items on the list. I'd heard that there was a list, but I didn't know what they were. And what I have found is that a lot of people who are in ACA and know that they qualify, know they have the traits, but they feel like there's something missing. And then when they hear this list, they're like, oh, that's me. Now, just like with the original laundry list that I shared last week, I was in denial about some of the traits that I have. Now, with this other laundry list, I don't remember the number that I identified as having when I first read it, like I did with the first laundry list, though. So what I'm going to do is similar to what I did last week, is I'm going to read the item, and then I'm going to talk about what it means to me. Item number one of the other laundry list is, to cover our fear of people and our dread of isolation, we tragically become the very authority figures who frighten others and cause them to withdraw. What this brings to mind for me is from when I worked full-time, if there were people that were either on an equal level to me or subordinate to me, I did and said things like an asshole to them. I essentially be like, how do they not know that? And what's really interesting is that was the message I got from my brother. For me, feeling stupid was the worst feeling in the world. And that's essentially what I did to other people, make them feel stupid. Number two, to avoid becoming enmeshed and entangled with other people and losing ourselves in the process, we became rigidly self-sufficient. We disdain the approval of others. For me, the rigidly self-sufficient part is absolutely 100%. That was me before recovery. I don't think I've ever disdained the approval of others, but the rigid self-sufficiency was absolutely me. Item three, we frighten people with our anger and threat of belittling criticism. I think that this is very similar to item number one, where if people didn't do things the way I wanted them to do them, I would be a dick to them. Number four, we dominate others and abandon them before they can abandon us, or we avoid relationships with dependent people altogether to avoid being hurt. We isolate and dissociate and thereby abandon ourselves. I did a lot of isolating and dissociating, especially through the use of drugs and alcohol, watching TV for hours on end, etc., And I absolutely abandoned myself in so many different ways. And I no longer do that. And what's really interesting is when I stopped abandoning myself, I stopped being afraid of abandonment, 
which is the core wound for most adult children. Trait five, we live life from the standpoint of a victimizer and are attracted to people we can manipulate and control in our important relationships. I don't know that I have been a victimizer, but I absolutely manipulated and controlled people through my people-pleasing behavior and also acting like an asshole as a way to get people to toe the line. So manipulating them through my behavior to either get them to like me or do things I wanted them to do. Number six, we are irresponsible and self-centered. Our inflated sense of self-worth and self-importance prevent us from seeing our deficiencies and shortcomings. What this reminds me of is something I heard in my first year of recovery on a podcast, and the person said, I'm the piece of shit that the universe revolves around. Another way that I've heard that described is I'm an egomaniac with an inferiority complex, and I think that this describes me. I've never been irresponsible, and I haven't been the classic self-centered person, but I absolutely blamed everything on everybody else. In other words, I was the victim in the situation, so in that way, I centered myself. As I've shared before here, I tend toward grandiosity, whereas many people in recovery tend towards feeling like crap about themselves. For me, the idea that, quote, I know better than other people blocked me from being able to see my deficiencies and shortcomings. And that was a huge shift for me in recovery, coming to see my part in things. In fact, I think it was the greatest gift of my recovery. Item seven, we make others feel guilty when they attempt to assert themselves. I don't know if I used guilt, but again, you know, I was an asshole to people when they tried to assert themselves with me. Number eight, we inhibit our fear by staying deadened and numb. This explains my years of substance abuse. I just didn't know that that was what I was doing. When I was in high school, I thought of it as partying and I thought I was cool. I look back now and I realize I needed to be numb. Number nine, we hate people who play the victim and beg to be rescued. This is an irony for me. When I did my relationship inventory and recovery, I saw that I would pick people who had victim mentality and I would rescue them. I'd go into the relationship, whether it was romantic or platonic, with this idea, I don't have any needs. I'm here to meet all your needs. And then, of course, I would get resentful of them for never meeting my needs, even though I acted like I didn't have any. Then I would start to disdain them because they were the person that I wanted them to be, which was a victim that I could rescue. Number 10, we deny that we've been hurt and are suppressing our emotions by the dramatic expression of pseudo feelings. I don't think I would ever use those words to describe my experience, but I will say that my experience of feelings before recovery was that my feelings were way out of proportion. It seemed to me that I had much bigger feelings than other people and that I felt things on a much deeper level than other people. It was like they penetrated farther into me than other people from what I could see. What I think recovery has done for me is that it's made my feelings right-sized. Number 11, to protect ourselves from self-punishment for failing to, quote, save the family, we project our self-hate onto others and punish them instead. 
This makes me think of how I blamed everybody else for everything that was happening around me. I didn't know I was doing that, but I definitely did not take ownership of the patterns of my life. I just saw that or saw them as things that happened to me, not something that I created. Number 12, we manage the massive amount of deprivation we feel coming from abandonment within the home by quickly letting go of relationships that threaten our independence, not too close. Now this one, I feel like there's something here for me, but right now it's still too hard for me to kind of pin down for myself. Number 13, we refuse to admit we've been affected by family dysfunction or that there was dysfunction in the home or that we've internalized any of the family's destructive attitudes and behaviors. That was me. It's not that I refused to admit it. I was just completely blind to it until I got into recovery. I think if you had asked me, did you come from a dysfunctional family? I probably would have said yes, but it just wasn't on my radar and it didn't seem like it had anything to do with anything. The more and more I got into my ACA recovery, the more and more I realized how much of my family's patterns were just really dysfunctional. I didn't know that I'd been traumatized, that certain things weren't normal. Recovery enabled me to unearth that stuff and change those patterns and recover from the trauma. Number 14, we act as if we were nothing like the dependent people who raised us. I think part of what happened for me in recovery, especially steps four, eight, and nine, in regard to my dad anyway, was realizing that if I want to be forgiven for the things that I've done in my life, then I need to forgive my dad. I repeated a lot of the same things that he did. For example, the thing that pops into my mind right now was that my big issue with my dad my entire life was that he just didn't accept me for the way that I was. And yet I did not accept him for the way that he was. That wraps up the other laundry list. If this is all news to you and you feel like you want to learn more, I've put a link to the laundry list in the show notes, as well as links to the ACA website and the solution and the promises of ACA. Because I think if you read the solution and the promises after hearing this episode and last week's episode, you will know whether or not this is the program for you. If you're ready to finally have an enjoyable, relaxing summer doing things you really want to do, instead of always following other people's agendas, I have some openings for private clients right now. If you are really tired of saying yes to things you really don't want to do and being overly accommodating to others, this is for you. It's time to start accommodating yourself. Maybe you're dissatisfied with your relationships and overwhelmed with all kinds of difficult feelings because of your interactions with others. If you'd like to get your life in order before the summer hits, go to barbchat.net and sign up for a free 30-minute call with me about my private coaching so we can get started right away. That way, you'll be done by summer. This is for people who are finally ready to make deep, lasting changes in their relationship patterns, including their relationships with themselves, their partners, 
family, friends, and colleagues. Go to barbchat.net. If you like this podcast, and I'm guessing you did or you wouldn't still be listening, then you're going to love the other things I have to offer. If you'd love pre-release podcast scripts and episodes before anyone else gets them, or if you'd love access to content from my private vault that I developed exclusively for my private clients, which is like having a work session with me without me actually being there, go to patreon.com slash higherpowercoaching. There are three tiers ranging from as low as $4 up to $24 a month. You'll also love my weekly newsletter, Friday Fragments, which has content very similar to the podcast. You can check it out at fridayfragments.news. That's fridayfragments.news. Please like and subscribe to my podcast on your favorite podcast outlet. I'd also love it if you'd leave a review, which you can do either in the show notes or on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find my podcast so they can get the benefits you've gotten from listening. If someone came to mind when you listened to this particular episode, please share it with them. And my favorite place to hang out on social media is Instagram. I'm at Higher Power Coaching. Please DM me there. I'd love to hear what you got from this episode. I run group and private coaching programs on building healthy boundaries. Whether you need help with boundaries in your personal, professional, or romantic life, I can help. Head on over to barbchat.net where you can hop onto my calendar for a free 30-minute Better Boundaries consultation. My ideal client is someone who is ripe for change. If that's you, I would love to work with you. My goal with all my work is to help you make lasting changes in your life like I've made deep lasting changes in my life. Remember, it's never too late to recover. No one is beyond hope and healing is possible. Thanks for listening.